Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Optive Theology Podcast. My name is Andy Schmidt. I'm here with Pastor Nick Gibson and special guest Jill Reese. Um, this is a, I, I haven't decided whether or not this is going to be like a bonus episode or just one of the regular episodes, but this is an episode that needs to, that we've been talking about doing for a while. Um, and so before we get into what exactly we're going to be talking about, I want, Jill has been on this podcast before, but you can give kind of an introduction to yourself and tell people who you are. Great. Um, my name is Jill. I am an MSW student, which is a master's of social work student at UW-Madison. Uh, I have worked at High Point Church in the past in various roles, and I'm back there now for my field placement, developing the ministry called Oaks. And uh, that's a ministry that will hopefully be for High Point, but also other church communities. And I'm also a wife and a mother of three kids, five ages five, three, and 18 months. Cool. Yeah, and High Point Church, if people don't know that, is... Andy goes to that church. I'm one of the, I'm the pastor there. And Jill's like a little sister to me. Like uh, she came to High Point, like right when I got there. So she's been at High Point like, the whole 12 years I've been there. And I actually I got there staff. before you. Yeah. Just a little bit. Right. And then, um, and then she came on staff, like she was like 17 or something. And just kidding. She was like 20, I mean, she was like, what, 20, 21, 23, something like that. I was 25. You were 25. I, when you started? Okay. I look very young. So yeah. I look like I'm about 20 right now. So yeah. I looked like I was 16. People always call me the intern or asked if I was a high school student, even yeah. when I was on staff. When yeah. I started, she looked about 16 when she got married. So yeah. Well, cool. Yeah. So just, yeah. just so you guys know, Jill's, Jill's like, Jill and I have been working together for yeah. seven or eight years now. So, so mm -hmm. Jill was, Jill was there as a senior pastor and then you came in <laughs> Anyways, so th this is an interesting podcast. I mean, we're going to be talking about Jill has a uh, start, starting a ministry. Uh, I, I guess you call it a ministry, right? Yes. Am I correct about that? Okay. So, and it's called Oaks. Um, and so I guess I'll let you kind of give the introduction to what this ministry is and kind of what, what's what, what's the vision behind this ministry and what, what is this all about um, to give people an, uh, a little bit of an insight into exactly what we're talking about today. Yeah, to start, the word or the name Oaks comes from Isaiah 61, which is a passage uh, you might be familiar with the biblical language of Oaks of Righteousness, um, especially if you're from High Point. That was a big part of the book Substance that Nick wrote a few years ago. Uh, but the passage talks about how God uh, binds us up in our brokenness and how he creates beauty from ashes and um, joy out of our shame. And it's a very redemptive, restorative passage in the first part. And then it says they will be called Oaks of Righteousness, a planting of the Lord for his own glory. And then after, right after that, it says that they will restore the ancient ruins and the city's long devastated. And so there's this picture of being restored by God and then being strong. There's a strength that comes from that, that glorifies God. And the strength, the purpose of it is that you will restore, you will participate in the work of restoration that God does in other people's lives. Mm -hmm. So that's where the word and the name Oaks comes from. Mm -hmm. And the goal of the ministry is to equip the church to be a rehabilitative community for people who are in the process of healing. Mm -hmm. And so the goals of that, um, we're seeking to provide biblical clarity of psychological issues through 
training and content and teaching uh, and in within the, the ministries itself, the volunteers, mm-hmm. um, we are hoping to empower people in their own process of healing, like coming alongside counseling and kind of like what happens outside of the counseling office mm-hmm. and to equip people with rehabilitative relationships, which by that, I mean a place to practice healing and redemptively fill in the gaps for each other that we've had relationally. Mm-hmm. So you so basically if, if I'm, if I'm, this is the first time that I'm that I've heard this. The first thing that might run through my head is okay. So you're starting like a a counseling practice, but I know that that's not. I know that that's not what you're doing. But do you want to do you want to even be like more specific? I guess and kind of mm-hmm. I guess tell us how exactly how you're going to work this thing, this ministry out and and how how does it differentiate from counseling and how does it differentiate from actually what a lot of local churches already do with discipleship and mentoring and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. First, just to be very clear, it's not a counseling practice. I'm not a licensed counselor and I'm in school, but that is, I started it actually now on purpose because I think there is a, um, there's a gap that the church can fill in people's processes of healing uh, that can't be satisfied through counseling. Um, so this is also not a replacement for clinical counseling within the church. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition, it's a, it's more than it's like counseling plus. So we're looking for connecting people into relationships that might provide something they didn't experience that was maybe created a wound for them. So for example, um, if like connecting people within a family, uh, someone who, might have a healthy family if they didn't experience that. Modeling is very important. It's sort of like the the building up of the healthy model and healthy relational dynamics that you don't get from just diving into what went wrong in your childhood or what trauma you experienced. So it's sort of providing hopefully both a space to process emotions and what you're learning and how you're growing, but um, also a modeling of like the redemption that you need to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, okay. So Nick, you, obviously you're like kind of a co-host here, but also you've been heavily involved in Oaks. And so you're like, I mean, even the name Oaks, like is, it comes, comes out of your, it doesn't come out of your book. You didn't write the Bible, but it comes out of the <laughs> book that you wrote called substance. Mm-hmm. And then Oaks, and then like, in which the little, I quoted Isaiah. Yes. In which you quoted Isaiah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, yeah. A, that's a good way of saying it. So Nick, mm-hmm. wh- where did you, wh- where did you come into play in, in this whole, in creating Oaks? And I guess, cause you guys, you guys aren't necessarily partnering mm-hmm. here, but you guys have been heavily collaborative in your in, in the High Point Oaks relationship, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I guess my part of it is that I have been a mentor to Jill for the better part of a decade. I mean, yeah, is the short answer. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jill has always had a bent towards. So I think for Jill, it's two things. One is she's she has always had a really strong emphasis on personal growth because she felt inhibited by some of the wounds she was carrying. And so this interplay between pursuing the direct spiritual disciplines of discipleship and strengthening or healing from the weakening wounds that make those disciplines of discipleship less effective than they could be. Like the difference that there's a, there truly is a difference between training and healing and that there that 
what, one of the things that the church sometimes does really well is point people towards these disciplines of discipleship, but sometimes it does kind of a bad job pointing them to like environments and ministries of healing or the reverse is true. You have churches that focus like everybody needs healing. Everybody's just her. Otherwise they'd already be fantastic. And they don't really focus on discipleship. One of the things I noticed with Jill was she was a navigator in college and navigators is really disciplined, really focused, a lot of Bible memorization. It was started by a military man. Right. So it's like, it's kind of like the, the uh, no dating, like memorized verses, kick butt, like Christian yeah. fellowships. So, so she came out of that, like highly disciplined, which I think, I don't know how she would talk about, she may have picked that one because her family might've been a little bit on the not so disciplined side. She, I don't know why she gravitated towards navigators, but she might say, but then she got to the, she got to the point where I could see she was bumping up against her disciplines weren't producing the level of strength she was looking for. And she began to like increase, try to increase her knowledge on healing. Cause she'd already been trying to heal. And so she's done more work than anybody I know of her age of trying to like really focus on the disciplines of spiritual growth, but also recognizing the necessity of healing in our weakening wounds. Otherwise it's like, you know, somebody has like some kind of injury to their leg that they need surgery on and you keep telling them to run more miles and they'll get better. And you're like, well, no, actually they need healing and then they can go through the physical therapy and then they can do the training and then they can be strong. Yeah. Does that make sense? And yeah. so I think what Jill is endeavoring to, and it's something I've been waiting for for years at our church because it's hard to lead. This is a hard ministry to lead is mm-hmm. a minute, a, a ministry that um, is really focused on discipleship through helping people heal. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting that you say that it's hard to lead. Cause like, and so, if you boil it down in some ways, that was the entire purpose of Jesus's ministry. And one of the mm-hmm. The, the main purposes of the local church and why it was created. Obviously that doesn't mean that it shouldn't be difficult. It means that that's probably, if it's the main purpose of, of the church, I mean, we can probably assume that it's going to be fairly difficult because people are difficult, but it, it is, it's just, it's just interesting that you said that anyways, I will I, uh, yeah, yeah, go ahead. just, just to add to, to answer your question too, Andy, of like, how does this fit in? I talked a little bit about counseling, Mm -hmm. but how does this fit in with discipleship and kind of went along the lines of what Nick was talking about? I think it's very important for the church to have formative uh, discipleship ministries. And then this is what I would call a rehabilitative discipleship mm-hmm. ministry. So the, the church is, is multiple things. It, mm-hmm. it is a hot, a hospital. It should mm-hmm. be a hospital, but it's also a family and it's, it's all sorts of things. Um, it's not just a hospital. So yep. to have different focuses in discipleship areas is very important. And I think in our culture, it's easy to see these crises of, uh, and this psychological knowledge of trauma and mental health, which I think is important to recognize, mm-hmm. um, but we can kind of bend towards the crises and just be putting out all these little fires through kind of creating all these help ministries. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it's equally important to have formative ministries like small groups or mentoring mm-hmm. that are building up strong disciples who can weather suffering um, it with strength. And so that's not to say that if, if you can't do that, that there's something wrong with you, we haven't been formed as a culture and as a people. And so there's, it's very predictable, the state that we are in right now. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think we need both, but we should not abandon the formative ministries Mm -hmm. to create only helping ministries. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
I, th- I think one of the things I've noticed is that a lot of the ministry that we believe we're called to do is actually done through an overflow or overabundance of strength, right? Like when people are weak, we they need other people to be strong. We carry each other's burdens mm-hmm. is the metaphor in Galatians 6. And the, this, like the mental picture there is like somebody's trying to carry something that's too heavy for them. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we carry some of it, right? Mm-hmm. And the, the problem is, is that if we don't become strong ourselves, we can't bear anybody's burdens with that. We can't actually help them. Like part of holiness has to be strength. Mm-hmm. The ability to like, like I need to be, I need to, to not just overcome my insecurities because that would be great, but because I'm going to minister to people who are going to dump their anxiety on me. Yeah. And if I'm going to be a safe place for them, if I'm going to be able to really love them, I have to not be like super reactive because I'm so insecure and broken, don't know who I am. You right. know what I mean? So that the deeper Christ works himself out in me, the more I become like Jesus, the more when people are even malevolent to me, I mean, what Jesus shows the goal in the gospels is, is that when people are malevolent to you, you can be kind to them. You can actually love Mm -hmm. your enemy, that that's this, that's the goal. And if you can love your enemy, then you can love anybody, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and that's a, that is an enormous strength. Mm -hmm. Um, well, but, a strength that somebody who just punches a ba- another person in the face has never yet experienced. Yeah. You know? I think before we go forward here, I think there's two groups of people listening here right now. I think one of them is like nodding their head up and down to what you guys are saying and are like, yeah, healing. Yeah. Mental health. Yeah. Restoration and rehabilitation. And then there's another group of people like myself that are like, oh, like, okay, mental health, rehabilitation, safe spaces. This sounds all like things that I read about psychology on on. Instagram. So like, and, and, and so, okay. So my question then is when you're saying these words and when you're using this language around healing and growth and discipleship, I obviously, Jill, you and I have had conversations about all of this and I know exactly what you're talking about, but for people who are a little bit more skeptical of that type of language, even, even like using the word like trauma, like I know Mm -hmm. that's, that's used so much. It's such a popular word right now. Um, that it's almost lost any meaning that it really once had. What exactly do you mean by these things when you use mm-hmm. like mental health and, and trauma and rehabilitation? What, what does that mean? Yeah. So just to kind of clarify the perspective I'm coming from and the trainings that I've had, uh, I, I do have a degree in psychology from a secular university. I'm currently studying social work. So that's one side of it. I also love theology and have like worked closely with Nick as his theological assistant. Um, and that is actually my heart. (laughs) And what I think is really healing is the truths of God. Um, so, but I think that psychology in all of my studies, there's always observations within the field of psychology that are just observations about how God has created humans and how they break, what happens to them when they experience suffering, what happens to them when they experience sin or abuse, um, what happens to them when they don't have the relationships that they were created to have and how people react, but also the array of how people react and how it depends on like unique individual combinations of who that person is. So um, I think that the field of psychology in its observation and how like it's even neuroscientific like discovery of how the brain works, I think that's all very aligned 
mm-hmm. with just how God has created people. And it's just, we can glean from that and learn from that. Um, I think where it gets a little bit, like you have to use discernment about what's helpful and what's truthful is in the solutions and what people actually need. Mm-hmm. So um, that's how I'm thinking about this in terms of the field of psychology. Um, does that, do you have any questions about that in particular, Andy, that you wanted me to clarify? I, I kind of want you, I mean, I think you had a, one time you and I were talking about this specific thing and it wasn't today. We had a different conversation today, but it was a while back and you said, uh, you had a really good example of this. You talked about Jordan Peterson. So I, I, I was always, I mean, I really like Jordan Peterson and I like his methods and his methodology and how mm-hmm. to make people change and heal and get better and whatever. And, um, and I was trying to think through, okay, does this align with how, how the Bible teaches, uh, what the Bible teaches about healing? Um, is there anything to what Jordan Peterson is saying that could be, uh, true? And you had an, a really good answer that I might help people understand what you were just saying before. I, do you want to say, do you want to tell people about that? Sure. Um, first of all, I, I do think. Jordan Peterson is a very helpful psychologist and he does have a lot that aligns with, I mean, he, he talks about the Bible a lot Mm -hmm. as well. Um, I think where this is true for any cycle, I think this is true just for any sort of, um, secular field, uh, where it gets tricky is kind of when you're talking like evolutionarily, like this, the, um, survival of the fittest kind of language, like Mm -hmm. this most confident will get, xyz or like this is what health will bring you um yeah like the if you're familiar with jordan peterson and the 12 rules for life he talks about lobsters and dominance and how um i don't actually remember how lobsters work but basically in a human in a human what it would look like is i think his principle is stand up straight with your shoulders back so sort of this like look confident and you will actually feel more confident and you'll actually um Become confident. Become more yeah. confident. And I think that's true. Um, what I was talking about with Andy is there's there's these principles, though, of meekness in the Bible or of Jesus looking for the person who was weak and healing the people who couldn't make it themselves. Like, I mean, that's the whole point of the gospel is you can't be strong enough to save yourself. And um, so I think we just have to be careful in how much we can tweak ourselves. And that's that is a danger of psychology in in its ends is like, how much can I know about myself and tweak it and tweak it and tweak it and tweak it until yeah. I'm just fine. Mm-hmm. And the reality is with through sin and the curse and suffering, there's going to be things that just aren't fine sometimes. And it's out of our control and it happens to us and we need a space to break and to uh, process and to be restored yeah. um, in Christ and in relationships with other people. And I'm not right. saying Jordan Peterson doesn't say that, but sometimes um, I've felt in reading uh, some of his principles that like, that sounds great, but that's just not what I experienced. Like that's not, so now what do I do? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Cause there was a lot broken in, yeah. in my experience growing up. So yeah. ho- hopefully that makes sense. I yeah. think that the principle to take from it is, what does the gospel say to brokenness and who is the one who fixes it and what's the deeper healing? It's true that, that, um, psychological realities and knowledge can help us heal, 
yeah. without God. But there is a deeper yeah. spiritual healing that is only possible in Christ. Yeah. So, so one of the things that I was, that I, after we kind of talked about some of these things today, I went and talked to Andrea afterwards and I was fleshing through more of my thoughts and t- tell me if this is helpful or if this is just going to cause more confusion and we can move past it. You guys, you tell me, okay? Because I felt like I had kind of um, th- thought of a way to explain some of this stuff that could be helpful for, for younger people, potentially. So, uh, not for younger people, maybe for everybody. But basically, like you had, you and I were talking about the, and it kind of went to what you were just saying a little bit before was that. Uh, in secular secular universities and in secular um, in secular psychology, they're they're all kind of looking at the same. We're all looking at the same evidence at the human brain and at the human interactions and relationships, and and um, we can trust that sort of science, uh, but we can't always trust the methodologies that come out of that or the or the uh, the. I guess, yeah, just the methods that come out of that, that le- that everybody says leads to healing. Cause there's a bunch of different things that come out of that. Those, uh, what we see, um, from all of the objective, uh, evidence, right. That's kind of what you were just saying, or am I wrong? I was yeah. actually talking about solutions or yeah. conclusions versus methodologies. Okay. So I would also say that many methodologies actually align with how God created humans to heal. Okay. Um, yeah. it's like a new, so we kind of think, I think there's even ancient ways that it's played out. Like we've had huh. similar human ways of healing in these ways, but it just looks a little bit different now, or we okay. call it something different now. Um, but I think sometimes psychological conclusions about who humans are is incorrect because they're not, cons- if they're not considering yeah. who God is, does that make sure. sense? So yeah, I, yeah I, I would differentiate between methodology and conclusions or solutions sure yeah i think can i jump in here so i think one of the things that we should recognize about psychology is is that because psychology is a science it interacts with something in a certain way it doesn't make it false like as christians we go well i'm a spiritual person that's science so it's wrong no science science can only function empirically whilst being science right so psychology can't say this is what an optimal human is because that that's Mm -hmm. an that's an idea that's not right what it can say is John, who is a client, can't go to work because of his anxiety. Mm-hmm. Right, so that's an empirical thing. So John, here's John. He's a person. He can't go to work. That's something that's going on in his life. What seems to be precipitating that is he has too much anxiety. Okay, so it's like then psychology says, okay, what can we do to lessen his anxiety so he can go to work? Right, like the, the purpose of psychology isn't like holiness or something. Psychology is right. incapable yeah. of creating its own ideals. Does that make sense? So like when we talk about using psychology as Christians, right, we Christianity supplies the ideal, right? Psychology supplies the science. And then it's our job to integrate Mm -hmm. the moral ideal, the spiritual reality that we believe in through our through our religious pursuit of truth. And Mm -hmm. third, the science that we can glean from psychology. And then we as we integrate those, we have a fully human approach. Right. And so. Um, I think what Jill's getting at is like, because of that, there's going to be a bunch of stuff that we, that's going to move over from science, from the science of psychology right into spirituality, because 
psychology is just discovering something we already knew and we already knew it for spiritual reasons or, or because it's like, it's just there in the world. Like any human being looking, it's just God's truth. It's right there. It's just common grace. Right. Mm -hmm. And then like, like for example, like that children should be held and loved by their parents. Right. Is that a Christian truth? Yes. God created human beings. Right. And he created the family, told them to be fruitful. Well, all this. Yes. But also like any idiot knows that you can watch monkeys and they know that. Right. So like, that's a truth that psychology knows Mm -hmm. and will teach, right? To have an unanxious youth grow into adulthood, you need this, right? But what it can't say is the child deserves that from its mother. Those kinds of moral statements. And why does, why does the child deserve it from his mother? Because the child is born in the image of God and is God's offspring as well as the mother's offspring. And so she owes as a duty to that child and that child deserves it as a right. That, all that talk about rights and deserves, that's all moral and spiritual language that psychology has no capability of knowing. And so as Christians, we can integrate all that stuff. So we but can look at a person lines, and say, that gets blurred really 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 fast like i mean i I, maybe you guys would argue this would argue with me but like Mm -hmm. there's no No. way that that the uw is teaching psychology with no philosophy i mean this no it's impossible a a lot of times though they will not admit that and 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 oftentimes the reason is because they don't know it because now you can go into psychology now and never take a philosophy class Mm -hmm. and you can take a lot of philosophy classes and the philosophy teachers don't even know that anymore Mm-hmm. Right. And and that's that's kind of one of my one of these questions that I talked to Jill about was like, well, well, OK, if if all of the preconceptions of if all of these people are who are teaching these uh, the psychology classes and whatever, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, if they're teaching psychology, but they're also bringing into it some sort of moral ideology, which which obviously we know that that's the only way to talk to people, really, and to teach things about human beings. Uh mm-hmm. How can you, I, I, I'm, maybe I'm just not, maybe I'm slow, but like, how can I integrate that into Christianity? Because I think we should, yeah, go sorry. Ahead. I thought you, that was the end of your question. You oh. can, you can finish your question. Okay. Um, because I think, how do you, yeah. How do you integrate that into Christianity? Because I think that there's like, uh, the, the further away our culture, get, I mean, I think the universities, uh, drive the culture in certain ways. And I think the further the universities go away from, from a more conservative objective worldview, the integration between modern psychology and the biblical faith, it, it becomes more and more and more impossible. Does that? Yeah, it does. What you're saying does make sense. I think we need to consider what we're integrating into what. So just to be extremely clear for Oaks, we're starting yeah. with the church and the, and spiritual truths and the Bible and saying God has always known about something like trauma. God has always known about mm-hmm. anxiety. God has always known about fear. Mm-hmm. What is that? What are, what are now, what are the things that we call the things that God has always known? So for example, mm-hmm. like trauma and suffering, Trauma is sort of a new word for, or a very specific categorization of suffering. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. the Bible talks all about suffering and what to do with that. Mm -hmm. And even various kinds of suffering, right? Like, um, like hatred and, um, like disaster. I mean, it's all sorts of things, relational suffering. Mm -hmm. So, so to flip it and see how we're trying to not just, like the goal is not to try to shove the gospel into psychology and make it work. 
the goal is to see how how is God doing the same work? What are people actually seeing that God has always known about? And how can we contextualize it and identify it? So yeah. um, I think that's true for th- like language, like trauma, mm-hmm. anxiety, um, all sorts of psychological terms, shame, forgiveness. Um, I think mm-hmm. it's true for those things. I think it's also true for modalities. So for example, CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy. It is very much so just identifying, I mean, identifying anxious thoughts or wrongful thoughts, or I don't know if they'd say wrongful, just basically lies. Like in Christianity, we would say lies, (laughs) identifying things that are not true or helpful, Mm -hmm. like writing it down and then thinking about what is true and then letting that change your behavior. So that's what it is. And we've, Christians have done that forever. Um, Evagrius is an ancient um, monk, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. Devin, one of the pastors at High Point, gave me this book, and he has a book called Talking Back, and it's very much like cognitive behavioral therapy. So, um, yeah, and Evagrius is like to, from the fourth century or something yeah, like that. Yeah, it, and he's talking about talking back to demons, right? So there's questions about that, like what does that mean for some of the stuff we're dealing with today? I think there's interactions between spirituality, physi- physiological responses our thoughts, behaviors, because we're whole human beings. So the goal is not to just take what um, psychology teaches us right now, which is a field that's been around only since, you know, the 1850s or something like that, um, to take this modern knowledge and shove the gospel into it. That is not the goal. Um, Does that help make sense of like what we're trying to integrate? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, that that makes I mean that makes total sense. I think I think that there's a lot of natural and and honestly like I think some healthy skepticism I think sometimes from Christians whenever uh the, the psychology and theology start to uh mm-hmm. have interactions with each other in in different churches and different things. I mean like I mean even with Jordan Peterson like <laughs> I had a super hard time like I was listening through his Genesis talks and for the first couple episodes I was like yeah this is all really good and then I started to realize like he didn't believe like anything was real in the book of Genesis and it was all psychological and I was like this I didn't even it took me a while so it took me a while to like realize that and I think that there's something to uh, making sure that mm-hmm. we talk about the differences between between the two psychology and theology and how, and and exactly what you're saying and I think that you're right yeah. I think that's a good, a good so so this this is one of the areas where I sort of I get on this about this a good a good bit is that one of the reasons why I think Jordan Peterson is both helpful and unhelpful at different times is because uh, if you pushed him and said, okay, is it possible that Jesus isn't just the archetypal human, but he's also like literally the son of God who died for the sins of the world? Mm-hmm. Peterson would say he might be, but but essentially what he's saying is that's not the level of analysis I'm working at. Mm-hmm. And my frustration sometimes is I want to say, Jordan, the, the, the Bible is set up to function through all of the levels of analysis mm-hmm. that a human being interacts with in order to experience true being right. And, and, and Jordan talks in those existential terms of like experiencing and like expressing true being, but like in the Bible that includes all the levels of analysis, which includes the psychological, the typological and all that kind of the mythological, but then ultimately the actual, 
Hmm. Like, because some, sometimes the mythology of the Bible only works if the, if the reality of the Bible is in fact true. Hmm. Right. So like when the Bible mythologically says that we can face even our own deaths, Hmm. right. It, It, it's assuming that we actually will survive death, even if death destroys us because God is actually there yeah. right now, all the stuff that people like Peterson or other psychologists might say about that typologically and human thinking and blah, 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 blah. Like that all works. Right. So like you can, like you can talk about these dynamics in human life as psychological realities but but one of the biggest problems with it is i think that some forms of healing and in, in human growth can't take place unless you get on a level of analysis that is non-psychological and i think that can be true even for atheists because i think unless you function on the on at least a moral level of analysis there are some things in human development you can't become a moral person Unless you're willing to think about moral categories, if you if you reduce every category to a psychological dynamic so that you can win, right, you're becoming an existential pragmatist. You're just like, I'm just going to do whatever works. And that's actually not creating a larger person inside of you. And so there's a way in which even Jordan Peterson, who is working to expand human beings to make them more than they are right now, is also in what he's doing if he's not careful getting them from like level two to level six, but making it so they can't get to level seven. Nick, do you have any sort of hierarchical, uh, I don't know, any, any way that you can tell us, tell me as I'm thinking through this, you said, so there's like psychological analysis, moral analysis. Is there some sort of like hierarchy to what types of analysis are at the bottom of analysis and at the top of analysis? Does that make any sense? I mean, sort of, but I th- w- the way this works with like some of these new s- psychological people who want to talk spiritually, I mean, Peterson's not the only one, he's just the most famous, Yeah, is that what they want to talk about is these things that I'm saying are true, even if God isn't even there. Even, even if when like the ancient people who wrote the Bible, when they said God, they didn't even realize they were tapping into this broad evolutionary human psychic energy, which basically was saying, if I deny myself in the present, so that I can have a better future, I am pointing myself towards, quote, God, right? And then Peterson would say something like, and, and maybe God is, there's a God who's really there, but like living to or towards a better future is a kind of heaven and not doing it is a kind of hell and so on, right? And you're like, yeah, that's true. Yeah. But they mm-hmm. also are in relationship to the archetypal moral and spiritual realities of the ultimate expression of those things, which is a real heaven and a real hell. Yeah, and I feel like it's a really, really, really weak like who cares if it's a, a heaven or a hell on this earth because it doesn't seem that consequential or that rewarding at the end of the day i mean i don't know maybe i'm just cynical, yeah but-, but but i think if you're starting with like if you're starting with a psychologically demoralized person right literally sure. i mean even that word yeah. demoralized means hurt enough and right. and like sad enough and like dejected enough that they are no longer thinking in moral categories because they feel so personally reduced. Yeah. And And so like, so we have to go find them there. And sometimes they don't want to like glorify God in everything they do. They don't want to live sola de gloria. Right. They just need to not kill themselves. Yeah. And we have to. And so part of what Jill's working on and what Oaks is about is finding those people. And some of them believe in Jesus. Like Jill, I've been working with a guy um, who like, he believes really strongly in Jesus and he also like basically hates his life and just like wants to wreck it. Mm -hmm. And so like sometimes believing in Jesus 
that you need the psychological level of analysis, even if the person is working at the higher levels of analysis. Do they believe? I want, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I want to. I just want to speak to like more to what Nick is saying there. So, um, and we can talk more about examples or mm-hmm. what that looks like if you want. But I think that the the thing missing then in psychological, um, what did you say, Nick? In Peterson's like psychological analysis, I think is the word the, le- the level of analysis he's using. Yeah. In. Um. This gets back to what I said before, if you can only tweak so much for yourself and get to a certain level mm-hmm. and the goal of like the whole purpose of the gospel is actually not healing. It's resurrection. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so our final hope is not even healing. I mean, we were, there was a, a number of us at a conference at High Point who we listened to a, um, Steve Nicholson talk about healing and he, he was very clear about like, I mean, even if we're healed on this earth, we're still going to die. We're everyone is going to die. And even Lazarus, like he was risen from the dead by Jesus, but then he had to die again. So he got to die twice. Right. So like the final hope is actually resurrection yeah. in Christ. And that's really important, especially for a minist- the ministry that we're trying to do, because there, there is a level where we might not experience healing on this earth. Like yeah. there might be suffering that does persist. There might be things like physically that we're not healed and we need to have a greater hope of the resurrection because in the resurrection, people can be transformed and changed even in their suffering towards a deeper spiritual healing that is freeing and filled with joy. So, uh, and I think that's super important to recognize because there is a sort of, there is a sort of death in that. And I mean it different, a different kind of death than the, um, there's something really real about how when we're not embracing healing pain, and we're not embracing pain to work through it, it comes out sideways. And it kind of um, some language that came out of a group that I'm leading is that you 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 suffer a little bit of death, like you experience a little bit of death, either through drinking or through like some sort of escape, like your suicidality, self-harm it death. Like it sucks the life out of you if you don't embrace it. But there's yeah. a kind of death of dying to the flesh that is required in healing. The yeah. process of healing that we're trying to empower people for in Oaks mm-hmm. is actually super not fun. Like people don't actually want to do it. We want to yeah. be healed. And you see that all over the gospels, you people want to be healed. They want to feel better. Yeah. Mm. We want someone to fix us. That's what we want. And right. so we want to show up to a counseling office. We want them to tell us what to do and we want to feel better, but we don't yeah. want to do the personal work required outside the office that most counselors tell you to do (laughs) to face, to face your pain, to face um, what's happened to you, to like try again, to like have that conversation with that person to, you know, all the things that are little, little um, dying to the flesh and nailing yourself to the cross that actually leads to resurrection and healing. That's deeper than just feeling Mm -hmm. better. And so, That's, that's, that's something that I think is super important when we're talking about, like, even the field of psychology or some of these, like, pseudo spiritual psychology teachings Mm -hmm. that are really prevalent. Um, I think the thing missing in it is resurrection. And it's that change that people can change, and they can overcome the wounds that have kept like just kept them really 
stuck. And it's it's an additional motivational structure to get going because like if you because like if you think about it in one sense, like healing is really difficult. It's really painful, but it's also uncertain. Like people mm-hmm. go through like healing stuff and they they just don't feel like they get as much better as they want to. And yeah. so one of the things you're saying is saying, listen, you don't have to worry about that. Right. Aim your life at the resurrection of Jesus, the Christ, like seek to know him in the path of sorrow and suffering that leads towards healing the path of holiness. You see, in that sense, one of the reasons I think all this talk about healing can be very detrimental if it's within a psychological level of analysis. I think people's psychological healing functions better when they're not thinking psychologically. Mm hmm. Right. If you want to heal a marriage, you need to get the couple to stop yelling. You know, that triggers me. And then, you know, I go into a shame spiral and then, you know, the blah, 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 blah. Like I was telling, I was telling my wife, who's also an MSW program. I was like, listen, I feel like psychologists, people, you students, you should go away to some island and learn your little psychological language. And then you're never allowed to use it with real people. You yeah. know, you can know it in the categories. Maybe like there's some like smoke filled whiskey filled room where you can talk to each other and use that language, <laughs> but you never mm-hmm. use the technical language with a client ever. You say, listen, your marriage is going to get better until you choose to have affection for each other and speak sweetly to each other instead of yelling at each other. Like the whole like, and so like when you, when somebody says, okay, I'm going to trust the Lord. I'm going to pursue the resurrection. I'm not going to worry about how much I heal. But in pursuing holiness, I'm going to do all this stuff that would bring healing. Mm-hmm. Right. For, but I'm going to do it for the right reason out of worship and out of like giving myself to the healing process rather than trying to quote achieve this thing that's going to make me quote better. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right? Well, and healing, Nick, I, healing and when is people part do that, of discipleship. Think, yeah. And otherwise yeah. people get so anxious and bound up about their healing that even if they find the courage to even try it, the next failure is they get so anxious and bound up about it and judgmental in it, or they make a little bit of progress and they want to claim full healing. And then they actually backslide because yeah, totally. they assume that they're better. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just, yeah. really, and if you just don't worry about any of that, you just pursue the Lord in holiness yeah. using some tools of psychology as you do it, but your moral and spiritual mind is on truth on beauty on goodness not on these like the dead dynamics of a scientific hack like it just but but i feel like when people are saying that they want to be better they're not saying they they're saying they want to be happy and i think that there's a difference between and i think that this is to the point that jill has made in this podcast that that the the spiritual like the spiritual healing that happens um it feels to me like biblically the, the gospel and the ultimate goal of this is finding joy in the suffering for Christ. And that like, if if you're looking for psychological healing at a, only a psychological analysis, you're going to create a heaven and a hell on our earth. And you're going to do the Jordan Peterson thing where you try to explain to people how to get, how to get to, how to make that future you better. And that's not going to align with the Bible because that, it, because that's, because the disciples were got like got like brutally murdered and killed and mm-hmm. beaten and the future them quote unquote was not better to everybody else and it wasn't happier mm-hmm. the future them was more joyful and mm-hmm. more willing to to take to in, in some ways even like pursue suffering like paul like went back into the city after he got beaten. Like, I I think that that's one of the things that I hear my generation talk a lot about is happiness. And I've always been frustrated by that word because I don't think that it means anything biblically. Well, it's it's partly because it's a shallow concept, but like the great psychologists saw human well-being as more than that. 
Yeah, I, I suppose. Yeah, it really did. And I, I want to say too that it's not, it's not bad to want to feel better. Like, right. I think we see that even in the gospels when Jesus healed people, people came to him in a crisis and they wanted to feel better and he healed them because he wanted them to feel better. <laughs> but it was just wasn't the ultimate. It wasn't the end goal. The end right. goal was relationship with him, that they would see the inbreaking of the kingdom, that they would have a deeper spiritual healing in Christ. So I don't want, if you, if you're in a place in your life and you feel terrible and you want to feel better, that's fantastic. Like, mm-hmm. yes, we, we want you to feel better. And there are real heavy emotions that feel terrible that need to be faced too. Right. And so, mm. um, I don't want to just pass over that and be like, you should feel joy about like suffering, like suffering right. is really hard. And it, it's, it produces anger because there's injustice and it produces uh, sorrow yeah. because there's loss and it produces yeah. like, but those things. And so that's really, I think what, where the church has kind of been lacking in our discipleship is creating uh-huh. the space for patient, um, walking alongside each other mm-hmm. in our sufferings for the full expression of what they mean, like the full weight of them. So yeah. often what people need, especially yeah. if you've experienced trauma, like trauma, getting back to like, what is that word? What does that actually mean? Trauma is in a very basic sense, stuck emotion. It's stuck pain. It's pain that hasn't been processed. Often that's a very automatic like survival mode response in our body. So it's not really your fault Mm -hmm. even necessarily, um, that if you are experiencing trauma or PTSD, but the, the dynamic of it is that it's a stuck emotion. And so people need space to process, to feel the emotions, to, to acknowledge them, embrace them, Mm -hmm. and to like say the truth of what actually happened to them. So Mm -hmm. I think I just want to acknowledge that that is all that's how we experience joy. It's like through that process yeah. that we experience the joy, but that is embracing suffering. Um, yeah. and I, th- hmm. and the goal of Oaks is to provide some spaces for that. Yeah. Um, there's just something really magical, I guess, you know, we're Christians, we don't believe in magic, but it just feels <laughs> like amazing and miraculous. Yeah. Maybe that's a better word for it. Miraculous. Yeah. Um, when you, when you talk to someone who's been through something very similar to you and yeah. you've never, ever talked to, you thought you were the only one. Sometimes you didn't even realize it wasn't normal. But then you talk to someone who has experienced the weight of it mm-hmm. as well. And it just, it you feel like yourself mm-hmm. in a new way. And that's yeah. extremely healing. So yeah. creating those spaces for each other in the church. And that happens automatically in the church yeah, um, and naturally. However, not for everyone. Not so for, yeah. the goal of Oaks is just to provide networks yeah. for that through... Yeah rehabilitative relationships for people who don't naturally have that. I want to just clarify uh, that when I was saying that, that there could be joy in the suffering, uh, there's nuance to that. Like Mm -hmm. if it's, if, if, no, that's absolutely true. What you say is absolutely true. I just wanted to, I just want to say that like, I didn't mean by suffering, like, like if I have an affair on my wife and I feel guilty for that, and then I just go around and say, I'm, I'm, I'm suffering for the joy of Christ. Like I'm pursuing Christ and suffering. Like that's different from, from what I'm, I guess. Yeah. What I meant yeah. I'm just, just trying to doing, add nuance yeah. to yeah. to it because yeah. yeah, mostly for the people who are suffering and feel like there's not a space and that they should just feel yeah, yeah, yeah. okay about it. Yeah. So 
I understood what you were yeah. saying, Andy. I just cool. am trying to. Yeah. Yeah. Speak no, to that the makes people sense. Who might be yeah. feeling that way. The 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 thing that I just looked up to, um, and and we should talk about this a little bit. I have it written down, and, and it's more on trauma. So I I just I get confused. Um. Because I looked up the definition of trauma, and it says trauma is a deeply distressing or disturbing experience. Now, the reason I I looked that up is because uh, you said it's being emotionally stuck, and I kind of get that. I guess the the only times that I had ever heard people talk about trauma up until probably five years ago um, is when it related to war, Uh, like PTSD type, like uh, post-traumatic stress syndrome, like things – uh, I, I, I've never heard it about where young people my age would be like, yeah, my, my dad yelled at me, um, for like, you know, playing the wrong, I don't know, for like grabbing the wrong food out of the, I don't know what, what it's a terrible example, but like people will say that they, that everything's a traumatic experience these days. And I think that, I don't know. Did you think your definition is I'm not trying to push I was back trying to no talk reason. about Sorry. yeah I was just trying to talk about physiologically what happens okay. so when you don't um your your emotion is not processed and so it kind of comes back up it's like not categorized in in and integrated into your whole experience and so yeah it kind of the same reaction will come up in the present mm-hmm. and you're reacting in a present situation to something that's actually a past response and so it's often either too low of a response emotional response like numb you don't feel anything or it's too emotionally reactive so i'm just talking like how the emotions will work if they're stuck because of trauma but um but do you think that's trauma yes i think but i think trauma i think trauma happens from what from the research i've done trauma is uh like can happen. It doesn't always happen though. So something could be traumatic to one person and not to another person. Right. It's based on an automatic response of the body. Um, often including dissociation, which is basically like you're, you're just in survival mode trying to get through the event and you're not emotionally experiencing it in the, in real time. Oh. Um, it often happens. It's sort of like one, one trauma um, researcher, named Bessel van der Kolk. Wow. He wrote The Body Keeps the Score, which is a very famous book now. Um, but he he defines it as the threat of annihilation. However, that if you're a child and your parents are neglectful, for example, like, I mean, literally neglectful, yeah. as in you don't have enough food, you don't see them all day, whatever it is. Um, yeah. That is a threat of annihilation because you're dependent on your parents for survival. So you don't know if you can survive. And there's sort of this, there's a, a traumatic response that happens because of that. So trauma, I think to speak to what you're getting at Andy of, is everyone just traumatized? First of all, I think we are, I think sometimes we're more sensitive, which then we're increasingly sensitive as a culture, which will make you more easily traumatized. However, I think what people are looking for is a legitimate, like a legitimization of their pain which suffering is pain. So even just to say like, that's really hard. Like even if you don't have the symptoms of PTSD and it's not technically trauma, who cares? Like if you're in pain, 
let's talk about it. No, I, okay. <laughs> let's, so let's, I, no, let's heal from I that. You know? I understand. And you want to get to healing as quickly as possible, but this is where, uh, and I have a really hard time with this. Like, I think I don't, I wouldn't say who cares to that. I would say, hold on. You're beginning at a place that's not healthy. Like you're starting at a lie. Like it's, it's not true that you're actually have, have experienced, um, trauma. That's not a fact. And so, so how this is that that's, uh, you're not, you, you haven't experienced a traumatic experience. If, if I took uh, a kid whose grandpa yelled at them all the time, cause they didn't close the door tight enough, which was, which was me growing up. <laughs> My grandpa, I didn't close the door to the, to the, to the garage tight enough. And I get yelled at every time. If I took young Andy and I put him next to a war veteran and I said, Andy, like, and, and young Andy thought he was traumatized. Like that's that at some point you have to, at some point there's a level of delusion, right? That you have to say, okay, hold on your framework and where you're starting from is wrong. And we need to get on the same page from the, from the get go. Um, yeah. I think, I think part of the issue here, Andy is, is that trauma is a reference to a human reaction mm-hmm. and like how it, it's, it's in reference to a response, not an event. So like there are people who go through war and they kill people and see people killed and they aren't traumatized. And then there are kids who have highly sensitive temperaments and like some adult yells at them in a weird situation that they completely don't understand. And they remember that moment the rest of their lives. And like it affects how they how what happens to them in their bodies in other situations as they get older. Right. And so part, a lot of it has to do with like the sensitivity of your temperament and like situational factors that people didn't plan on. It's it's very strange sometimes. Like you sit down yeah. in a counseling office with somebody and they will have gone through some like really terrible things and they'll say, this is the thing I remember. I remember Jill, Jill's told the story before of like watching somebody important in her life just wa- just get a lamp and then walk away. And it was like somehow registering like this person came for that lamp, but not for me. And that like that imprinted itself, but there's like probably all kinds of crap going on in her life at that, in that age. But that was like the way her mind captured that at a particular age, at a particular moment with a particular, right. It like that became, became trauma. Cause remember trauma is just a fancy word that we stole from the Greek. That means injury. Yeah. And in medicine, they just say they use it. Or not, and mm. just uh, doctors and people use it for mm. injuries and things like that. So I, when psychologists use it, it might you can correct me here, Jill, or expand on it. But like it, it means essentially, you have you have um, taken in an experience in such a way as that it's created an injury in the sense that it hasn't like processed in with all the rest of your experiences, and because it hasn't done that, it cr- creates problems for you. And some of those problems in the are present, physiological yeah. in the present. Yeah, but you guys both know that that is not how the culture sees it. The vast majority of people, when right. they use the word trauma, I think right. a lot of people my age literally think that they're experiencing things that are just as traumatic, if not more traumatic than what a lot of war veterans have experienced. And it's because they're so far removed from those experiences that they've outweighed their personal pain because they're, they're, they don't have a good sense of balance and understanding. And I think that I, maybe I'm, I'm being too uh, cautious, but I get nervous about using that word 
to explain somebody uh, to explain the pain that people legitimate pain totally legitimate like like i've experienced those situations where mm-hmm. I, I have memories from my childhood where i they don't seem significant but they've impacted me really mm-hmm. a lot and i i, I want to heal from those things um but i would never ever 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 categorize that as traumatic because i know that i know that 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 people are (laughs) i think it's a little dramatic uh Mm -hmm. because of how it's associated culturally not technically so i want to jump in here because i think the point is not the categorization i think we get really caught up about if it's trauma or not not i'm not just talking about the three of us i'm saying as a culture i the point is processing like naming it for what it was so maybe it wasn't trauma but like some like even naming it emotionally for what it was or the meaning of it. Mm-hmm. And so I think what people are trying to do when they're saying it's traumatic is identify the meaning, but it's a miss. It's even if you experience legitimate trauma, it's not hugely healing to say that was trauma. What is healing is to say, Oh, I've experienced something like that. Or like that person said the way I felt about that thing. Um, so it doesn't, that's what I might, what I meant by, who cares? What I mean by who cares is if someone is hurt by something and they need to process it, mm-hmm. even if they're being sensitive, the way to help them do that is not to say that didn't happen. It's to, or you don't feel that way. <laughs> if anything, that amplifies how people feel. Um, what at if least you say, in my what kids. If you say, hey, you do feel that way. And I, and I totally understand that. And that makes total sense why you'd feel that way. Um, but this isn't this isn't as traumatic this isn't what you're thinking traumatic trauma is and here's what trauma actually is here's what you think it is and here's a better way to describe what you've gone through it doesn't negate the fact that they need help but i think it can help with um I think it can help people categorize their own feelings which can be really really helpful in trying to communicate what I think and feel hmm. um, I and think that can that help just... heal maybe I, i've I, I think that, so I think Nick was the one who said this in this podcast, but there is something too. if we, if we got rid of all the psychological terms and just met people where they're at and kind of didn't label things like that actually might be kind of helpful. For example, I think I've, I've healed mostly from what I've endured in my own life. I, I didn't know it was trauma until like after I was like healed from some of the things I didn't know it was trauma. I just knew it was impacting me oh, and yeah, had to yeah, figure out yeah, how to yeah. work through mm-hmm. that. Right. 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 And, yeah. and so the goal is acknowledging what is there, what is blocking you in your faith, what is the mm-hmm. sticking point, what's adding confusion, what's creating relational conflict, whatever it might be mm-hmm. is acknowledging it for what it is. Um, whether that's like insecurity, shame, yeah, anger, yeah. Uh, injustice, it yeah. could be anything, right? And those are often biblical. Those are always probably biblical categories in some way. Yeah, I think they're sinful. So acknowledging for it for what it is, and then doing the next right thing to move through that, to like break that bondage, to um to reconcile with someone, to process the emotion, to be patient with yourself in healing to lament whatever it might be. So that's what I mean by who cares? Like if someone is stuck, even if it's 
wow, that shouldn't, maybe that shouldn't quote unquote, shouldn't <laughs> have impacted you mm-hmm. if it should or shouldn't, it did. So, so then we, that's what we have to deal with right now, you know, mm-hmm. cause it did impact yeah. you. So that's what we gotta, that's what we gotta look at next. Um, yeah. and I've just found even for myself that really sorting through was it trauma or not doesn't actually help. Um, it does help to know kind of what it is. So mm-hmm. more so for me in, in helping other people and sympathizing with them and really seeing like, well, that's what they endured. This might be why they're reacting in this way. So like, how do we, how do we enter into that? You know? Yeah. Let me jump in here really quick. I want to say three things about this quickly. The, the first is, is that I think the problem you're struggling with Andy is the problem of irresponsibility that like people feel like they can say, I have psychological condition X, therefore I'm not responsible mm-hmm. for Y. And I think one of the things that Christians have to recognize when we deal with psychological categories is that's never true. It's never true. Mm -hmm. There might be some utterly extreme examples of disassociation where you like lose time and don't know that you're conscious. I mean, maybe there's a few, (laughs) but for the most part, it's not like you can be traumatized and like not deal with it and be like, well, I'm traumatized. You're still going to like inflict that on your children and that's going to be your fault. Mm -hmm. Right. So like, I think it's that question of irresponsibility where you're like, this doesn't smell right. And I think that's correct, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't have to minimize the concept of trauma, what it does. Right. And so, so why do we care about this? I think it's because there's a difference between learning and healing. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's why Jill talks about the process of healing. So like, for example, if, if you've got like an issue, right. And I say, okay, Andy, do X, not Y, because A, not B is true. Mm -hmm. If you're not traumatized, you should be able to take that in through your cognitive deliberative mind and work that into your understanding. Mm -hmm. And then that will work it into your intuitive thinking. So you'll think fast in that way once you've worked that through your cognitive mind and you have that now, you own it. So discipleship practices do that, right? A number of discipleship practices, like reading your Bible and doing that kind of thing helps Mm -hmm. you do that, right? Healing is different. Healing is you're getting at something that is amiss, in like your heart, in your like internal, in like getting at that and healing is a, is a different, you're doing it differently. Mm-hmm. And that's why making that decision I think helps. I think also relative to trauma is if you imagine like trying to heal from trauma as physical, like physical therapy, like I have an issue with my shoulder where I have these like rubber bands where I like, you know, I have to do like yeah. 12 arm motions a day and, and my shoulder's fine. But I have to do them like every week or something more strenuous or my shoulder will start to hurt. My son, who's 15, just had full spinal fusion surgery because he has arthrogryposis. Mm-hmm. And he has to rework his hips so that he gets three and a half inches back on one of his legs. Wow. Right? In terms of like its relationship to the ground. Mm-hmm. Those are totally different things. They're both physical therapy. They're, mm-hmm. both, they're both ways we're dealing with injuries that we bear so that we can cope with the injury so that we can be strong. But they're totally different in magnitude. Mm-hmm. And I think that I think that we can talk about trauma with a widely varying magnitudes. Mm-hmm. Well, you you can, I mean? can you guys tell me if I'm just? I understand what you're saying. I think that you're you guys are both probably right. I'm just still trying to think through it, and I am still hesitant because, for me, I guess personally. I've felt like the greatest growth that I've experienced and healing that I've experienced over the past four years have been directly tied to learning the wider, uh, the, the larger my vocabulary and the more specific my vocabulary, uh, has grown, the the wider my, my vocabulary has grown, the 
more ability. I feel like I have more ability to actually recognize what's truly happening in my own brain uh, mm-hmm. as they relate to mm-hmm. past experiences and situations. And, and because of that, I'm, 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 I have the ability to understand the complexities of a situation. And because of that, I then have the ability to, I think, see human beings as human beings and myself as, as myself as somebody who needs forgiveness and somebody who needs to give forgiveness. I mean, that's one of the ultimate goals that we're trying to get to in healing is, is, is forgiveness. Um, and like, you know, when I experienced as an eight year old getting yelled at by my dad or my grandpa or somebody in my family, uh, okay, that sticks with me. And at that age, I'm, too, I have too limited an understanding of, of the world and of reality. Mm-hmm. And therefore I, I just see that as dad, grandpa, bad guy, my feelings are hurt. Uh, as I grow up and I have a wider understanding of, of reality and the world around me and the way that I think, maybe I'm wrong about this, but the way that you expand your understanding of reality and the world around you is by trying to expand your vocabulary as much as you can, mm-hmm. because that's how you communicate and identify the world. Mm-hmm. The, the more that I did that, the, the more that I've done that, the more I've been able to actually recognize and look back at that situation at eight years old and say, okay, wait my grandpa's this, this, and this. He went through this, this, and this. My dad's this, this, and this. And he went through this, this, and this. And that's why he got to this point to where he yelled at me for this. And I did this, this, and this to get to that point to to do this. And so ultimately, I just need to forgive them. And I need to ask forgiveness for what I've done wrong. Because it's a super complex situation. And I could psychoanalyze it all day long. It wasn't technically as traumatic as I thought that it was. So I was kind of wrong. In my, my analysis of it was sinful and the fact that it was not even totally correct. I guess is that not how people work? No, you're Andy. You actually just described how a lot of psychologists would say trauma is healed is through language. Um, so <laughs> often you're not. It's um, your emotional side of your brain or part of your brain and your cognitive part are different parts of your brain. And in trauma, your emotional brain, like your amygdala, is taking over. So you don't actually have language for what's happening. Yeah. And that's yeah. often what makes it traumatic. So, yeah. so huh. it can both be true that what you experienced with your grandpa, it was traumatic mm-hmm. and now it's not because you have healed from it because you've learned, you've acquired the ways to put meaning to it through language. Mm-hmm. So it's really, the language piece is putting meaning to something. It's so doesn't saying, this go back to my point that wouldn't you yes, then want to does. tell people the but, meaning of tra- traumatic? Right. Yes. You're, that is true. But then you said, so I have to forgive them. Yeah. yeah. So it's a both ends. I'm not, yeah, I think, I think learning can be healing, but because it's, it's, if it's helping you put meaning to what happened for yourself Mm -hmm. so that you can practice what is true, which is forgiveness. This is what I have. This is the practice of Mm -hmm. healing. That is Mm-hmm. It's a both and. So what yeah. I, what we're trying to say in the, in learning and knowledge is mostly that you can learn a lot about trauma for yourself. It may or may not be helpful. It depends on how you integrate it, use it to integrate your experience and become more of a whole person in everything that's happened to you. And you understand the meaning of how things have impacted you and made you who yeah. you are. And then you practice the healing. Yeah the change, right. That you've, you've integrated, that you've owned for yourself. So it's, it's more than just like, I follow, I follow like 
psychologists on Instagram. And there's, there's a lot of accounts now that are just like, here's the seven signs that you have an attachment issue. Here's like, there's a lot of just self-diagnosis. And I think that's relatively unhelpful because it's knowledge, but not in a sense of putting meaning to something. It's more labeling. Well, this is just true of me. It's not integrating meaning to then overcome what has happened and have it not define you anymore. And it's not that that can never happen through those means, but the main question yeah. of healing is, are, is it practicable and integratable into who you are? So Jill, that ultimately, I think, obviously leads to the, to the, the next question. It's kind of the, the chicken and the egg question is, okay, so if healing leads to forgiveness, and biblically speaking, we know that forgiveness also leads to healing, like, like that's, it doesn't seem a little bit so if you're healing, if if the healing that you're experiencing uh, allows you to to reach the place of of uh, having the language to understand how you actually feel and to put things in the right proper places, they relate to reality, and then therefore in the Christian in the Christian faith, leading to forgiveness, either asking God for forgiveness for your sins or forgiving other people for their sins or asking other people for forgiveness of your sins. Um, but Jesus, but Jesus, I don't think that doesn't seem like the method that Jesus used. I don't think he healed. I'm just people. saying that. Yeah, I was only saying that forgiveness is one means one practice of healing. Healing just has healing happens when you practice huh. what is true and meaningful. Um, it's it's aligning oh. with reality in some way, so that can happen through forgiveness. That can happen also yeah. through justice. That can happen through. It's well, sort of like what was the though, thing that was broken that now is aligned. Yeah. 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 And justice happens through forgiveness. Yeah, I get that. I, I think I mean, justice do you don't think it happens through forgiveness? Jill. Uh justice also I mean, eventually justice happens through the vengeance of God's enemies. <laughs> like of God on his em- enemies. Yeah, I was thinking you're justified to God through Christ. Oh, through I oh, you're thinking justification. I was thinking justice. Uh, like, uh, yeah, yeah, I yeah. was. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I, I feel like I'm learning a lot. I might, I might not. This mm-hmm. might not be going in the direction that you guys may have thought, <laughs> but I feel like that. I, I feel like I'm because because yeah. I've just I, I know my generation and how they think about these words. I'm trying to. I know what you guys want to do, and I just I, mm-hmm. I don't know. I want to make sure it makes sense. I think it's important to recognize that as Christians, we do believe that um, things that are forgiven on the basis of Christ, when forgiveness happens, that is what has happened is just. Yes. The escape of the wrath of God is just because of the death of Christ. Yes. Yes. Um, But also when people are not repentant, especially, or they are, they're unwilling to acknowledge what they did. Sometimes, sometimes trauma I mean, there's a form of trauma that comes from like you're like you think something should be acknowledged and it just isn't acknowledged, mm-hmm. and like it's and it sticks with you, right? Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know if, like I I think a, a good bit of the versions of that aren't aren't going to qualify as trauma. That has to do with like your deliberative mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if it happens to you enough times, especially if you're younger and you and everybody tells you justice exists in the world, but you don't observe it actually mm-hmm. existing in the world, I think that can leave a, tra- a traumatic effect. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. It, I don't know if it's, it's always, if that word is always used, but yeah. 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 That makes sense. I, I Joe, do you have something else you want to say or no? 
Oh, okay. <laughs> Not about that. No, I just, I agree. I agree that it's true that forgiveness is just. Yeah. Okay. So, so you have on here that there's a different re- rehabilitative relationship pathways. Um, so I guess I've, obviously we just talked about a bunch about trauma and I guess people who actually want to get better and want to have help and want help and want to grow. Um, you have that you have advocates and groups, right? Mm-hmm. Is there is that is that what they're boiled down to? There's just two different advocates and groups, or were, were there more? Yeah, than those that? are the main two pathways. Those are the what we call re- rehabilitative relationships, sort of like what Nick was yeah. talking about. Places for basically physical therapy. Yeah. For healing. Yeah. Uh, for emotional healing and physical or uh, psychological healing. So, um, they're very similar. One is just a one-on-one connection and one is a group dynamic, but, uh, we, it's, we match people into the groups or with an advocate based on issue like felt need, um, including trauma and abuse, Mm -hmm. substance abuse and addiction, processing grief. Um, Mm -hmm. we're going to have one, a group soon on body image and shame um, I mean, all of these issues. So we kind of start at the, like, what is the felt issue? Because, uh, it's really powerful to experience not being alone and not feeling crazy because you see other people right there with you who have experienced something very similar. However, we end up talking about very similar things in all of the groups as root thing as root issues, such as shame, you know, um, feeling betrayed, so a lot of this feeling unwanted, a lot of the same human experience comes out regardless of the topic. But the goal is to help people feel like there's people walking alongside them who it, it just sheds light on the isolation that can come from trauma or suffering when you see that you're not the only one who's experienced something like that. So mm-hmm. that's how we match people. That's how we mm-hmm. um, put groups together. and the advocates and group facilitators, the main qualification is just that they um, have experienced some sort of suffering or trauma and are just a few steps ahead of someone else on their healing journey. And so we have it built in that, you know, if you are going through a rough period, because trauma is really hard to overcome (laughs) the effects of. So if you're kind of sidelined for a period, we just want to be really open and transparent about that. And maybe you then enter a group for a time period or you get the help that you need Mm -hmm. until you can keep going. So, um, it's a very much like we are restored and restoring all the Mm -hmm. time. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I think, yeah, that makes, that makes total sense. Um, I have, as you talk, and as we talk through these things, I just uh, like a million more questions start to flood into my brain um, as, as we're talking about this. Because at one point you, you mentioned here's here's here, this might be the last question. I don't know. At one point you had mentioned that like trauma basically prevents people in the moment from feeling the proper emotions that they're supposed to feel for a certain experience. And it kind of just pushes them through, through, uh, through a, a bad, a, a bad experience to base. It's a coping mechanism. Like there's a traumatic coping mechanism that's happening in a traumatic experience, right? Is that mm-hmm. kind of, um, mm-hmm. and my question that I thought of, and this is like, this had to have been like 40 minutes ago, but was, are we meant to feel all of the emotions? 
are we supposed mm. to be feeling all these emotions? Really and I thought then I thought about Jesus and I was like, there's certain times in the Bible where it's very clear. Um, like the, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. That's pretty clear that Jesus felt those emotions and he wept and he cried um, because he was feeling sadness. But I also was thinking if Jesus were to feel all of his emotions, wouldn't he have just been a mess? Like you don't think he always felt sad or angry or loving, like frustrated, like, you know, with the people that he was around who he, he looked at people every day and he, I can't imagine that he didn't know which ones are going to hell and which ones weren't. And he didn't, and like, he knew things about people that they didn't even know about themselves. And if he were to feel all of those emotions, wouldn't that have paralyzed him from ever moving forward? Yeah. I, yeah, I recognize what you're saying. That's a good question. Um, so Jesus has probably felt everything in real time because he acknowledged reality mm-hmm. like he was he was reality mm-hmm. um but he was mature and he was strong mm-hmm. so like today a term that's used in the psychological field is like emotional regulation or self-regulation okay and it's basically the ability to kind of um what's the right word not digest but maybe that's the right word like you can you can f- you can ag- know your emotions and not and have the Mm self-control not to like to express them in the right way in the right timing um in the right space recognition that doesn't immediately lead to expression right so acknowledge like having an emotional experience doesn't mean and acknowledging the reality of a situation which happens through our emotions like you feel happy you feel sad you feel angry based on what's happening yeah um you feel fear so emotions are really just our gauge of reality (laughs) and when we ignore them they get stronger and they or they get kind of like dispersed like anxiety is called a secondary emotion it's a secondary emotion to things like anger or sadness because those are stronger emotions and scarier and more vulnerable to feel and so we kind of just disperse it um, through yeah. just a general ang- anxious feeling. However, huh. um, so like in something like trauma, your emotions might come on like a um, like a tidal wave that feel really drowning, which is why people don't want to face what happened to them. It feels too overwhelming. That's yeah. part of why they couldn't experience that in the moment. It was a survival mechanism because it was too overwhelming to experience in the moment. But when you, as you face it and as you grow and in your capacity to experience those emotions, they come in waves, but not in tidal waves. (laughs) They come, you can feel them and experience them and Mm -hmm. acknowledge the reality of your, Hmm. of what's happening to you and in the world. Mm-hmm. without being completely sidelined by them. Does oh, that yeah. make sense? Yeah, it's you just had to basically be brave enough to be willing to do it. I mean, it's it's mm-hmm. not like a you can't you I mean, this isn't something that you can I guess half I don't know what I can say on the engagement half but you can't <laughs> like go into it halfway. Um you yeah, have to and- go into it all in in a lot of ways and you have to be willing to 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 experience that. And I think, and I don't blame anybody for not really wanting to, cause that seems really yeah. intimidating and it's I mean, very I, hard. Yeah. And that's why, that's why relationships are really important because yeah, even hard things are possible when you're not alone. 
Yeah. That's ultimately the human fear is being alone and being abandoned mm-hmm. by God. Ultimately. I mean, that's yeah. what hell is. Yeah. That's it's separation forever from God. We are human. The core human fear is death and mm-hmm. abandonment. I mean, mm-hmm. death is also separation. So yeah. we can do a lot when we have, when we're not alone. Um, and so it's extremely terrifying to feel those feelings because they feel like death if they're really yeah. big and they've, we haven't faced them yet. And yeah. so to have, to be able to experience them and not be alone really just, it just cuts that wave down like crazy. Yeah. Um, it makes it really possible to, ex- to experience the tidal wave and then to experiencing it go, go down in severity and in power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it seems like what you were saying. I mean, the whole purpose of, of Oaks is it, I, I, you've mentioned this to to me and probably to other people is like learn, how, learning how to be a good friend. And like, like it's, it's kind of learning how to be a good friend because a lot of people nowadays, I mean, I, I looked at the statistic statistics. It was like over 40 million adults in America are, are in therapy and one in four adults. And that was in 2020. Now it's like one in four adults. Uh, a lot of times they're not necessarily looking for for counseling or therapy they're looking for somebody to talk to and to be and for somebody to care about them and they're dropping you know 150 200 bucks a session uh and the whole one of the great benefits of the christian faith was supposed to be that you didn't have to drop 150 bucks to 200 dollars to have a friend and somebody to care <laughs> about you um that you understand what i'm saying i mean that's kind of what you were saying in the beginning that that the connection i guess i'm trying to make is that this is a, it's a lot of it seems to be about friendship rather than psych. I mean, we talk about psychology, but there's more mm-hmm. friendship. And I think that that's important because I think that in our culture, there's, we're really used to kind of abandoning friendships when things get difficult. And I think the Christian faith pushes against that. And oftentimes, I mean, Jesus didn't abandon Judas and he knew that Judas was going to ruin everything. Mm-hmm. So it's an interesting yeah. thing. Yeah. And just to, to see the church, I mean, the family of God is a rehabilitated family. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's the family that we didn't have. We have spiritual brothers mm-hmm. and sisters and mothers and fathers that, yeah. um, mm-hmm. when the people who were supposed to love us didn't or can't <sighs> yeah. or won't, there are people who will and who do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's a good, I, these are all helpful for me to hear. Even right now, because I'm, th- I, because I think when, when I, I sometimes when I start thinking about the psychological stuff, I get too psychological and I forget about the, about these things. I don't know. I mean, do, do you have anything else you want to, that we should dive into uh, about Oaks? Um, I know that there's going to be a conference. I don't know how much we want to talk about that or if I should talk about that or if I should have said that or if I'll have to edit that out. <laughs> No, it's not a secret. Okay. What is this conference? Oh, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, we're, we're going to be doing a, a healing conference called Made Whole. And the goal of the conference is to introduce people to a more complete view of healing relative to Christian faith and understanding, which includes in it being integrated with psychology, but also taking the whole counsel of scripture. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and trying to help people see that healing is um, is often a, is often and usually a process. And it's a process in community, and it's a process that we get better at dealing with, oftentimes through our own suffering. 
And so we, we, cause we have some people in the church who just like every, every, no matter what's wrong with you, you go to counselor and the counselor is supposed to fix you, which frankly isn't fair to counselors. So, I mean, this is one of the yeah. areas where like some people listen to what Jill and I are saying and you're kind of like, Oh, you guys hate counselors. And it's not that it's, it's like, like one of the reasons why I want to change how the church works is because not because I hate pastors, but because I think I, I feel like the position I put in as a pastor is something I can't do. And I think that's true with counselors, like this idea that people will go to an office, talk to somebody for 50 minutes. Mm-hmm. And that's what's necessary for human healing just is false. That's not how people got broken. No matter how much technical knowledge that person has, they can't really fix the person. They can like tell the person what to do, but that person has to do it. And like yeah. most of these people are in the counseling office because they're not strong enough to do it. Yeah. And that counselor is not going to be with them. Mm-hmm. You know, so like what we're trying to do is to say, okay, hey, how do we put together what your pastor and your counselor has told you mm-hmm. <laughs> like how can you do that in relationships and in contexts where people really understand and they're willing mm-hmm. to be patient with the process mm-hmm. and so we need yeah. to help people in christian churches where they just want to pray for people to be healed and just expect them to just be healed immediately um and other folks that never do that and like there's lots of different views of healing in the christian church and mm-hmm. oftentimes in revivalist churches that's like charismatic churches like evangelical churches fundamentalist churches um we don't think of the metaphor of healing as one of the key gospel metaphors. We think of justification, yeah. like legal, um, like legal pardon. We think sometimes of liberation and liberty, huh. but we don't often think of, we think of Christ winning like victory. Oh, but yeah. We often don't think of salvation as a healing, which it is. Huh. Mm-hmm. And so we want to try to tap into all those metaphors of, biblical salvation. I mean, think about this. Jesus said that, that healing people was like the way he was bringing in the kingdom. Like, what's yeah. he saying there? Is he saying just that we're all going to get physically better? Or is like, he's saying, no, when I heal somebody, I'm showing you what the kingdom is like, like what salvation is like. Well, mm-hmm. salvation is therefore is a healing. That's the whole metaphor. And so, so we get focused on the fact that like, we'll do greater things than that. And Jesus, that is, we'll pray for some people and God will heal them. Right. Well, that's great. But even when God heals somebody, that's even that's not the end. That's actually pointing to something else, which Mm -hmm. is the broader healing of salvation itself, Mm -hmm. just for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And then as it relates to Oaks, uh, the pathway. So we want to have this conference and and really provide some biblical clarity of psychological issues. But um, it's sort of the start of the conversation. It's not no one's going to come to this conference I'm assuming and just be like, wow, I get it. And I'm healed. Like there's so Oaks is really um, providing the next steps and the support relationally out of that. Yeah, no, that's good. And I, so that, that'll be in March. I mean, there'll be more information as we get closer to the conference. I I mean, we won't, uh, Jill will probably come on the podcast again and we'll talk more specifically about it. But um, I think uh, before we close this out, I want to say that I probably came off this podcast as super skeptical and like, I think that Oaks is a terrible idea and that I think that this is all horrible. And I, I, I really, really do not, I do not think that at all. I think that trying to heal and trying to become more sanctified and more like Christ and trying to rely on the church and the people around you and to be a better friend. I think that that's all super important. I can't, I, I think Jill and I have had a, a, lots of conversations about how the church needs to be, have more, a more of an open door policy, you know, like, Hey, come on in and we're going to be your friend and we're going to be there for you when things are tough. And I'm all for that. Um, the only, 
the the reason that I think I just am I have so many questions is because I think I see how the culture deals with healing mm-hmm. and how the culture and I, I see similarities in these words and I probably am having a traumatic experience and experience and, and when I look back when I so you know 18 on social media and I see all these words and I'm like oh my goodness Jill is using them too so I probably need healing yeah. myself which means well, that I'll I be, think yeah go ahead I just I appreciate the questions honestly Andy because I think you're willing to ask them I think most people don't realize how myopic we all are about what we think works to heal us. So to question what does it really look like? Is that really working is really important. So mm-hmm. I also I really appreciate the questions and I I just want to I told you this before Andy but I almost appreciate the just the honest skepticism too because um it's easy to sort of kind of like not even want to say you're skeptical and then just kind of yeah, I just appreciate the honesty about it because then we can actually clarify mm-hmm. and think more broadly about what healing is. Yeah, and instead of assume. Yeah, I've told people that that Jill is one of the mo- only people that I one I think one of the only people at High Point that I've been able to talk to about uh, <laughs> like screwed up things that I went through growing up in a very dysfunctional family. That I think you're one of the only people that I've been able to like understand that and i think because you've gone through some similar things so i think that like me, me saying that is saying like i tr- i am not skeptical because i don't trust it mm-hmm. and believe that you guys and, and that want to do the right thing and want to actually help heal people i'm more skeptical because maybe i'm i, I don't maybe i because i have problems and need healing and, and i'm going to go to the conference um but <laughs> uh nick anything you want to close with yeah, I think that um, I think it's important for Christians to recognize that in a culture in which we are getting rid of like Christian morality and we're not forming people in virtue and we feel like we're like past all that stuff because we're so civilized and sophisticated, we're actually becoming is more barbaric and we're doing we're becoming more barbaric and more sophisticated at the same time. Right. So like um, it, it so what that's going to produce is weakened people who aren't as strong who behave more bad, worse towards each other in ways that are going to produce more hurt and trauma and anger and so on. Mm -hmm. And so the church has to recognize, and also people are going to be increasingly vicious. Like there, there, there are certain dynamics where like when people stop telling the truth, you know, they're just about to start becoming really vicious. Mm -hmm. And so the church has to be prepared to have a profound ministry of healing, to be able to name wrongs for what they are to, um, to do all the kinds of things that the Bible teaches. And so like, we've, we need to be good on like forgiveness. We need to be good on, on liberation and liberty and, and these other metaphors that are part of salvation that are just as important. Mm-hmm. But if we don't offer people healing, then um, we, not only can we not heal the people who've been hurt by this culture, but the way our culture is trying to deal with this is by being openly, totally affirming of others. Mm-hmm. And then not involved in their lives. Mm-hmm. So we live these like highly private lives. So I'm not going to be there for you at two in the morning when you're like breaking down in tears. But if you say, Hey, I identify as this, or I'm going to be that, or this is what I think about myself. We just affirm you. We just say, Oh, that's so good. Right. And it's really the opposite of what love requires. Love requires that we be with people. We accept them. But it doesn't mean we just ex- affirm anything. And yet at the same time, we do show up in the moments mm-hmm. in their life where they need us. And so the church has to 
be ready for what this culture is going to need. It's, it needs to rec- be able to separate itself from the therapy of affirmation and an absence. We need to have a, sometimes have a ministry of confrontation and presence. Like there's like, like if, and if we can think the certain, if we could get it right, we could mm-hmm. really make a difference in people's lives mm-hmm. and people would come to faith and be healed. So mm-hmm. I think there's a huge opportunity here. That's why like we can only do like one conference every other year as a church. That's all we can like handle to do. And so this is what we think is the most strategic thing for this particular moment in time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. For Oaks um, in particular, if you want to get plugged in, like if you're listening to this and you made it to the end, <laughs> um, you can you can go to highpointchurch.org slash Oaks. Mm-hmm. And that's just an interest form. And it'll kind of. I'll get in touch with you right after you fill it out um, to help you take some next steps. So that's the best way to get plugged in right now into a rehabilitative relationship or to uh, indicate that you want to volunteer. And then um, I'll follow up with you. In addition, if you're a church listening to this, uh, Oaks is we're hope we're hoping that we can also provide the you know leadership teams and and volunteers that you might need within your own congregations and own church structures. So um, we are working on that just from the beginning as part of what the ministry goals are. So feel free to reach out if you also are interested in that. Cool. 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 Well, if you're listening to this and you like it, make sure you like subscribe, share this with your friends, give us a five-star rating, leave us a review. Nick, did you, were you going to say something? Nope. Oh, all right. We'll see you guys in the next one. Goodbye. Goodbye.